School started Thursday, is that right? Uh, all the parents said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the parents who don't have kids at school anymore, they're like, yeah, I remember, amen. Uh, yeah, school, uh, who remembers school? Anybody trying to put it behind them? Like, uh, who remembers grades? Was anybody here really grade conscious? All the valedictorians, raise your hand. Anybody in here? Um, some of us were more so than others. Really? Were you really a valedictorian? Way to go. We have a valedictorian in our midst today, everyone. Way to go. Uh, I was aware of the grades. Uh, <laughs> I didn't throw a lot of report cards up on the fridge, if you know what I'm saying, but uh, I passed. I, prob- I was one of those kids who could always do better. Anybody ever get that from your parents? You know, your aptitude is this, and your grades are this, and uh, I-, I was that kid. I- but I did love, anybody get that test back? I remember this one test my senior year of high school. I was in the advanced uh, English class in my uh, high school uh, senior class, and, and uh, uh, we had this test on Beowulf. Anybody remember the story of Beowulf? It's, it's barely English. Does anybody remember this? It's like this ancient form of English, and I tried to read it, right? And uh, I, got, I got my way through it, and then we had, like, our final exam was on Beowulf, and I, I went and uh, studied, you know, uh, uh, but all of these kids that were in my class, the valedictorian and the salutatorian sat next to each other. One went to Harvard, one went to Dartmouth. These were smart kids. They studied all night long. And when the tests came back, guess who got the highest score on the Beowulf exam? He's got two thumbs and he's pointing them at himself right now. This guy, right? 95 on the Beowulf. I still remember that. I don't remember any other, hardly any other, uh, well, and rightly so. They're not memorable, but any other uh, tests that I got back, uh, I just remember that. We love um, getting A's. Anybody like getting A's, whether it's in school or in life, just excelling and being successful and, and doing your best and seeing the fruits of that. We love that. We should certainly aspire to that. As the school year gets going, we should be aspiring to that in the Christ life. We want to hear our Savior say to us when we greet him on this other side that we're awaiting Well done, my good and faithful servant. If he was putting it in teacher terms, you got A's in so many things, like A's in our mission statement. You glorified God as you were a disciple and as you made disciples. Way to get A's, servant. Uh, Maybe he's going to reference things like Romans 12 where there's all these imperatives for the church. And he said, you got A's in living out the things that I commanded of you. Maybe maybe he goes to Galatians 5 and he says, the fruit of the Spirit. You got A's in love and joy and peace and patience, in kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You did well in the things that I ascribed. Well done, my good and faithful servant. If we all do our part as faithful servants, what kind of church will that make us? I'm grateful for who we are already, don't get me wrong, but there is so much more that God could accomplish in us and through us as the body of Christ if all the members of the body of Christ sought to do their very best in honoring him. We'd be a church that people couldn't stay away from. As as we start this year, I'm praying to God to to bring 25% more people into this room this year. Right? I don't know. It's just a number I have. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate that. But you know what's going to cause that to happen? Marketing. We need to do more with marketing. And then we can, and that's fine. I'm not downing marketing, right? Or, you know, we, 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 we need to really, you know, brush up how things look on the outside of this place because that's what really attracts people. 
okay, everybody get this if you don't have it already. What attracts people to the church of Jesus Christ are the people who follow Jesus Christ and the quality in which they live. That's the start. Thank you for clapping. I pray you keep going. That's the start, our personal commitment to Christ. The next part of that is our boldness and our courage in going to these people who don't come to church, who don't know Jesus, and loving them, challenging them, encouraging them, inviting them. That's what makes a church grow. Not, you know, what our website looks like, although it's awesome, thank you, Stephen Stow. And not what our grounds look like. Again, awesome, thank you, maintenance crew, Steve Hardy and all of you. But it's the people of God making those A's in the life that they have with him and then being used of him to see his church grow. We want to make it hard to go to hell from Brandon. So uh, as we continue this uh, year together, I'm going to start back up in the book of 1 Samuel next week. I'm going to talk about some kings, one who did it well, one who did not. David did it well most of the time. Saul did it well hardly ever. But we're going to learn from their stories. But even as we walk through whatever we're walking through, my hope is that whatever God teaches us from his word, uh, we will be focused on honoring him, making the grades that would bring him the most glory. So we finish Philippians today. Um, if I can play on words, there's going to be three B's that are going to help us make A's. You'll see. And I thought, you know, it's been a couple weeks since I hung out with you. We should do some motions. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to stand up. Some of you are new and he's like, what? Every once in a while, just because we're kinetic learners uh, at our best when we're learning, we're, we're, we're doing things as we're saying them. And, and So I like to have you repeat what I'm preaching with some motions to help. So here we go. Just uh, find a partner. Find, if you don't have a partner, just fake like you have one. You can have a pretend friend. Maybe you do. Maybe, I don't know what their name is. Say, say hi. Uh, but find a partner, and you're going to do these with each other. Everybody ready? So you're going to kind of face each other, and you're going to say these things to each other as you're doing the motions. Are you ready? Now, the first B that we're going to walk through today in our text is be concerned. Put your arm around that partner and just say, be concerned. Be concerned. Yeah, good. Oh, it's very nice. Not too long, fellas. Don't be creepy. First one's what? Be concerned. The next one is be content. Go two thumbs up to your partner. Give him these two thumbs up. Be content. It's all good, man. What's the first one? Be concerned. What's the second one? The last one is this. Be confident. Point to that big bicep of yours. Say, be confident. All right, one more time to your partner or your, your make-believe friend. Here we go. What is it? It's be content. Be confident. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's start over. The first one is be concerned. The second one is be content. And the third one, be confident. <sighs> Preaching's hard. <laughs> what we have here in the last part of this letter that we've been studying all summer. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I super enjoy just uh, all of the Bible, but... Uh, Certain parts at certain times uh, hit certain places that you just need hitting. And I trust and pray that God has used Paul's words to Philippi 
to encourage you as you've gone through them. Uh, we talked about this in the first week together. This is a thank you note. It goes for a while, but at its core, it's Paul saying thank you to the Philippians for the gift that has arrived through one of their members, a guy named Epaphroditus. And so here, as he opens up this final section of the letter, um, he continues with this thank you note theme. He says in verse 10 of chapter 4, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity uh, he kind of weaves some other things in there. And then in verse 14, he says, it was kind of you uh, to share my trouble. Thank you for sending this gift. He finishes off in verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, and a pleasing to God. Now, I'm going to get back to verse 10 in a second. We're going to talk about the concern that uh, we see Paul outlining or pointing to there. But before I do that, a little sermon sidebar. Uh, as we talk about this gift that Paul is thanking the Philippians for, I'd be remiss if I didn't just spend some time talking about giving. It's not a sermon on giving. I want to thank you again. Uh, we are in a season where uh, this church has uh, been generous in ways that it hasn't been before. Grateful for that. Thank you so much. But I want you to understand how we give, why we give. And Paul kind of alludes to it here. Uh, I love what he says in verse 18. If I can throw that back up again. Uh, he uses temple imagery when he talks about the effect of the offering that they, they've given. It's a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. Where have I heard that before? Uh, that's from Romans 12, where Paul opens that chapter of that book saying, um, uh, don't conform any longer to the patterns of the world, but let your mind be renewed, right? So that you could be this pleasing and acceptable offering to God. Uh, not all offerings to God are pleasing and acceptable. Did you know that? Uh, fragrance is, is always a part of the temple imagery. Uh, if you walked up to the temple on the day that it was giving sacrifices, it was, it's like walking up to a good barbecue, right? Because that's what's happening. They're taking these animals, calves and lambs and and, and certainly they're sacrificing them, and I don't have time to go into the sim symbolic nature of all that, death bringing life, all that stuff. But, but man, if you, I mean, anybody here like a good barbecue? Anybody like stood next to a smoker for a while? You just kind of get wrapped up in it, don't you? I was at this camp that I was speaking at in Canada, and uh, they have this like meal uh, on the Sunday night. It's the big meal of the camp weekend. And uh, uh, so everybody comes in, and one dude brings his smoker every year. He's one of the pastors in the local area, and uh, he just loves smoking meats. And I walked out of the sermon, or of the session that I was preaching in, and I just got hit in the face with brisket. It's just a good day, right? <laughs> when your you know, lungs fill with the smoke of a brisket, don't take too much in. But, uh, but that's what uh, was... Uh, uh, a sense that you would experience when you went to the temple. It's how God describes the offerings of Israel. Uh, it, it happened first at, the, at, at Noah, uh, at, at, in Genesis chapter 8. Uh, Noah comes out of the ark after 40 days on the water. The waters have receded. They make a, a sacrifice to their, to their God. And it says there that God smells the aroma and then says, I will not curse the world this way again. Now, not every aroma is... Uh, Smells good, and not every aroma is sweet. Now, we know that because some sacrifices God rejects. The, the first one I remember in the Bible is a few chapters before Noah. 
Cain and Abel come to make sacrifices to God in chapter 4. Remember that? Uh, Abel's, Cain's. And it's interesting. It's not because Cain was burning fruit and Abel was burning a lamb. It's because of the heart that was behind the offering. Cain gave his very least. Abel gave his very best. Cain gave with concern for God. Excuse me, without concern for God. And Abel gave because he loved God and wanted to honor him. Cheerful giving is what God hopes for us and not from us. Did you hear me when I said that? Cheerful giving is what God hopes for us and not from us. God doesn't need your money, people. I know it's a dangerous thing for pastors to say because the immature among us will be like, great. I'm not giving anymore. Pastor said he doesn't need it. He doesn't need your money, but he wants you to be free of your money. He doesn't want it to rule you. And so when he asks us to give, he asks us for the sake of others, for us to give so that others can benefit, certainly. But he asks us to give for the benefit of our own lives, to understand that it's not what we have that matters, it's who we have that matters. So this isn't a sermon on giving. But I just thought I'd pop that in there. What comes next is Paul's attempt to show the Philippians, first of all, his appreciation for their support, past and present, but also to establish that his work is neither dependent on nor motivated by their support. As a pastor, Paul makes very clear, grateful, don't need it. As a pastor, he says, grateful, but not motivated by it. Uh, I trust that every one of our pastors is doing what they do on our staff not because uh, of the money that it pays, although we're fine, I'm not complaining, everybody with me, okay? But we all got into this because it was a calling of God on our life. In fact, if you're ever in a church where that's not the case, where the guy up in front of you or serving in some ministry with you is not doing it because God has, has called his life uh, or her life to this process, and they're only seeking how they can climb some corporate ladder and achieve some monetary success, First of all, I think they're delusional. But secondly, uh, that's just not what this is for. All those churches, maybe you came from one, that talk about how Jesus is all about us getting rich and I'm going to be first in line, thus saith the pastor. Um, that's not what it's about. I'm grateful for my salary, but uh, may I never do this for what I earn. Now, on with the bees. That will help us make A's. Be concerned for others. Verse 10 again. I rejoiced in the Lord. Uh, this is a common theme of the, of the letter that Paul's written. He's talked about joy in 14 different ways uh, up to this point. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived. And here it is, your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It's like, oh, I don't want to imply that I didn't think you were always concerned for me, but now you've had the opportunity to actually tangibly show your concern for me. Maybe it had been uh, that Paul hadn't had need, he hadn't been in prison up to this point, uh, and so uh, he hadn't you know, sought, or, or, or the Philippians hadn't even had the idea, let's give Paul some money. Or, probably more likely, the Philippians had gone through a downturn economically. Okay? It was hard being a Christian in the first century. They probably weren't killing it at work. All right, people were kind of shunning them because of their faith, uh, but they had scratched together. It tells us in other parts of the, the scriptures that the church in Macedonia gave uh, beyond what they even had. 
uh, as they gave to the church and to Paul. And so uh, whether that was an opportunity uh, that they lacked, their concern never waned. How's your concern for others right now? You concern for people? It counts more than the things that you do. In fact, if you do things for people without having an honest concern for them, it doesn't count. I mean, not in the same way at least. If you're just going through the motions, doing what's uh, obliged, uh, if you're more concerned with the bottom line than the people that the bottom line affects, you're missing out on what God has for you in life. You want to make A's for him? Be concerned for those around you. My uh, mom was supposed to be at the camp that I was preaching at. It was supposed to be kind of this, uh, you know, homecoming for she and my sisters. We had all planned to be there. Things happened. Couldn't, couldn't work it out. So mom stayed with my sister in Cleveland. We have this one cousin, many cousins. They're all great if you're watching. Hi, cousins. Great to see you. Uh, but we have this one cousin who, unbeknownst to me, uh, decided if, if my mother, who is uh, the aunt that she loves, um, and the only aunt left, I think. They're all gone other than her. So maybe she's the aunt that she doesn't like. Anyway, uh, but uh, the only one she's got... She, uh, my cousin Candace from New Brunswick, Canada, uh, got on a plane and flew to Cleveland and surprised my mom. And my sister sent me the video. My mom screams like she's just been shot as uh, the door opens and my, my, nie- my cousin, her niece, Candace, is standing there. They hug for this. Anybody seen a scene like this on YouTube or been sent one of these? This, this, they're just you know, the rock hug. You know what I'm talking about? What, what makes humans do this when they're glad to see someone? They rock. Oh, let me shake your head. (laughs) Concussion, yes. But they just rock there and scream. Now, this is what what didn't happen after that initial uh, greeting. Mom didn't say, Candace, how much was your ticket? Let me reimburse you for your flight. Candace didn't say to my mom, hey, lady, do you know how much it cost me to get here? I'm going to need to see a little something something before I walk into this house. None of that. Why? Because the price of the trip had no bearing on the concern, the love that my cousin and her aunt have for each other. We do what we do out of concern. I've uh, had to start recycling some of my stories when I was a a young father. Uh, uh, Eleanor took our kids to Big Lots. to get me my first Christmas gifts from them. If, I, if you've heard this before, just go with me. But this is what I opened for my kids. The first thing I opened was a box of 10 tablespoons. Uh, these are not them. I stole these from the church kitchen. But uh, uh, 10 tablespoons. And I turned, I think it was Ben who gave me the tablespoons. And I said, why'd you give me tablespoons? He says, because we had buried all the other ones. And that was true. All of our tablespoons, they had gone into our back garden, dug holes, and buried them like treasure. And they will never be found again. Okay. So these were to replace those tablespoons. Thank you, Ben. And then the next box I opened had this in it, a huge mixing bowl, bigger than this. And I turned to Cooper and I said, why did you get me this mixing bowl? And he said, because you love eating cereal and you eat several bowls of it every morning. And I thought, let's just get her done, right? And so he gave me this huge bowl and I'm like, okay, thank you. Oh, good, I have a spoon with which I can eat the cereal too. And then uh, my daughter Kai's gift, she op- I opened it, uh, and, and she got me socks because I'm her dad, and every dad gets socks at Christmas. And I've told this story before, 
with the idea of this. I, I sat there and I, I looked at these gifts, which were fine, but I'm like, who paid for these? And the answer to that was me. I paid for these gifts, right? They didn't go to big lots with their piggy banks. Eleanor swiped our credit card and I got this from me through them. But as I was thinking about that this week, you know what? Who's said this before? It's the thought that counts. This was one of the first times tangibly, other than pictures colored for me or something like that, that my kids said I love you, showed their concern for me uh, through something that they got to wrap and put under the tree. Sure, I would have asked for other things, but the thought is what counts. Your concern for people is what matters, not what you give them. The heart, the love behind the gift. That's what God looks at most. Concern and generosity go together. So don't be like me as a young husband. Come home and report to your wife, I thought about buying you flowers today. Okay? That'll be okay on the first time. On the fourth time, she's like, just bring me the flowers. Okay? It's not just the concern. The gift should follow. But it's, more importantly, it's not just the gift. Look at me, dads. You can give your wife, your kids, everything. They need you. They need your heart. They need your time. Moms too. Kids too. You can begrudgingly do what your parents ask you to do. You know what would be better? Out of love for them, honor them. Like the commandments tell us to do. Anybody been out of sight, out of mind in your life? You just haven't thought about them, so you haven't shown the concern? Who in your life right now needs to know that you're thinking about them? All right, this is a theoretical exercise. Until now, take out your phones. If you just thought of someone and you have their phone number in your phone, I am instructing you as your pastor to text them right now and say, my pastor told me to say hi. <laughs> he was speaking, and he asked me who I hadn't thought of for a while, and it was you. How you doing? If I haven't said it in a minute, I don't know why people aren't taking their phones out right now. Get your phones out, people. <laughs> if I haven't said it lately, I love you. You want to go varsity? If it's your kid? Venmo him 10 bucks. Don, go ahead. Just Venmo him 10 bucks. And let him know that you care and so you give. All right. While you're doing that, I'm going to go on for the second time. If you want to make A's, choose the B's. Be concerned for others. Be content in every situation. He says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. This is where he starts qualifying. Hey, I'm not in need. I'm okay, like thank you for the gift, but I'm, I'm good. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. He says, I have learned, it's the Greek word amathon, uh, this, this idea of, of being content. It's the Greek word autarkes. Okay, quit texting me. Thank you, Brian. T quit texting me. All right. Uh, Okay, I did ask for it, but don't wait till after. I'm preaching. Uh, 
because it covers the whole screen and I can't see what I'm preaching. All right. Uh. He says, I have learned this, this, the Greek word's autarkes. It means self-sufficiency. It was a word that was coined by the Stoics of the age who had sought to just, dis, dis, you know, dis, uh, uh, dis, dis, disentach themselves from, or detach, there's the word, detach themselves from all of uh, human connection and, and, and human materialism and as Stoics just be self-sufficient. Now, Paul takes this word that everybody would have associated with the Stoics and he brings it into the Christian fold. He's not talking about us being self-sufficient. That's not how we roll. We are Christ-sufficient. We'll get to that in a second. But he says, I've learned. Life has taught me. Autarkes. It's a Greek word you can use today if someone comes up to you after lunch and says, all set, you can say autarkes. And they'll wonder what you just called them. It's interesting how the syntax of this statement, I've, I've learned to be content, is, is phrased in the Greek. It's hard to put it into English, but it's, it's almost like Paul is posing it as a question. He says, I've learned to be content. Have you? It's like that old cheer. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And then the other side of the gym's like, we've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? It goes back and forth, back and forth. And then everybody starts going, we've got more. We've got more. Thank you. Uh, Paul, Paul, uh, Paul is basically asking the Philippians, hey man, I've learned to be content. Have you? Let me ask our church. Hey, Bay Lifeians. God wants us to be content. Are you? He says, I've learned it. I, I, I've learned how to be brought low, and I've learned how to, how to abound in verse 12. He says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance of need, and I'll get to that in a second. He's not saying, I've learned how to make a mess and clean it up. I've learned how to be brought low and abound. He's saying, I figured out that my inner contentment has nothing to do with my outer circumstances. What's going on out here has zero to do with what's going on in here for Paul. I can be flush or I can have zero. I can be healthy or as sick as a dog. I can have everyone or no one. This doesn't matter because in here, autarkes. I'm content, all good. He's talked about it in his letter. I'm in prison. It's all good. I'm maligned by other Christian leaders. That's chapter 1, verse 18. It's all good. I might die here for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. It's all good. Is it all good with you and me? Do we know how to stay content regardless of our bank balance? What the doctor found? What's going on in our relationships? Marriages, kids, work. No matter the circumstance, here's what Paul's saying. My God is more than enough. I'm good. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't plan or strive. He was a planner himself, a busy guy for sure. He was on a mission to preach the gospel in his hometown of Jerusalem. Uh, actually, he's from Tarsus, but, but he had taken Jerusalem, his hometown, and he's, he's on his way to do that when he gets arrested. Like, he had a plan in, in place, and he was doing, in fact, all the churches that he went to, it wasn't just like, let's see where this ship goes. He intended to go to these places at the behest of God. He was, he was a diligent servant of Jesus. But when the plans changed, 
When God said, you thought this, but it's this now, Paul's like, all good. I'm content. How are you when the plans change? Takes a minute. I'm not saying you have to be Superman. We're all human. We've got to adjust. But ultimately, is the baseline of your life in the midst of the change and the struggle that comes, I'm all good. I'm content. Contentment's what mature people do. You ever notice that? Older people just don't get as bothered, at least most of them. It's my experience. They're just like, whatever. Like I'm living with Byron, almost 91 years old. He's just a chill dude. He's not in a hurry. Can't be. He's not moving fast, right? But he is living his best life now. We say that all the time, Eleanor and I. Dad, you're living your best life, right? You wake up and you're just like, what am I going to do today? I'll carve a little bit. Nap. I'll carve a little bit more. Nap, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll go outside for a second, water some trees that I didn't want him to plant, but there they are. Nap, right? That's how he rolls. We, we make his dinner. I get his ice cream. He's always grateful, but he's just like, because he, he didn't have a care in the world. And the rest of us run around with our chicken little heads cut off. In, in the same way that the um, age mature people are often... Um, better at contentment, the spiritually mature people. They're the ones that figured this out. If you're wondering how you're doing on your report card, ask yourself how you're doing in this area of contentment. In fact, did you know that the last last commandment given in the Ten Commandments, anybody know what it is? You shall not covet. And it gives this whole list of things that you aren't supposed to, to desire. You know what that commandment's really about? It's a prohibitive, but you know what it really is about? It's about, hey, whatever I give you, Thus saith the Lord, be content. Don't be running around striving for what you're not meant to have. Whatever I give you, be amazed by it because we deserve zero. That's one of the things that we struggle with. We think fair is somewhere up here. Fair is we get nothing. And whatever we have is the grace of God. So be grateful for that rather than longing for what is not. Strive all you want, but when the plans change, roll with them and trust God in the midst of them. He's got something to teach you, so be content. I will preach. (laughs) Paul finishes the letter this way. It's such a great way to finish. He says in verse 19, we're not going to get to all the verses. Surprise, but uh, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. He's just gotten done saying thank you one last time. But he says, be assured that every need of yours will be provided by the God who loves you. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Someone say amen. Amen. Yeah. If you want to make A's in the Christ life, choose the B's. Be concerned for others. Be content in every situation. And the final one is this. It's the source of Paul's contentment. It's from whence it derives. It's his confidence in the power Jesus gives. Be confident in the power that Jesus gives. I can, there it is, say it with me, verse 13. I can do how many things? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One of the most famous verses in this letter. I can do it. Not I can do it, but I can do it through the power given me by the all-powerful one, Jesus. He he does one more uh, qualification of that. He doesn't want to, you know, just slam his friend's gift. He says in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Thank you again. 
Thanks for the gift. But even if it didn't come, guess what? I'm good. Why? Because I trust in the power of the one who has saved me. He's got this. I don't have to. Paul has all his needs, and he's 100% confident in this power that Jesus has to get him through anything. He's, he's talked about that because Jesus is, is, is here. It changes everything. In verse 5 of this same chapter, we talked about it. He said, let your reasonableness be known to, God, uh, to all. And he says this kind of just perfunctory statement, the Lord is at hand. And then you know what comes right after that? Verse 6, which says, do not be anxious about anything. We talked about that, right? Do you know why that's possible? Because the Lord is at hand. You know why he can be reasonable to everybody? Because the Lord is at hand. You know why he can rejoice in all things? And again, I say rejoice. Because the Lord is at hand. He's here. He's able. He wants to help. For his sake and yours, let him. And do life in his strength. Easily preached. Sometimes hard to do. Now let's be careful real quick. I can't do what I want through the power of God. It's not what it says. It's not like the prosperity gospel. It basically quotes this verse and others and say, well, if you just have enough faith, you can throw the power blanket on anything. I want this, and so Jesus' power on this, and it'll be mine. That's not what this is saying. Everybody get that? You're not the determiner of the usage of God's power. It's not a blanket we throw on things. It's something we tap into. When? When we choose to operate and function within the will that he has for our lives. This is what you want for me? Please give me the strength to do what you've asked of my life. And he will. Paul says, I can do all things in the power of Jesus as I live the life of Jesus. It's like uh, walking through life with that uh, well-supplied mother. You know the big purse, right? They just have everything in there. Anybody have that, Mom, growing up? Ah, my nose is running. Kleenex! Waka! Just flies out of the bag, right? Ah, man, I got a hangnail. Nail clippers! Bam! Just, you know, gotta get in there. But that's the Jesus we serve. It's all in there. And for whatever we need, he can supply so life can come and take everything away, your personal assets, your key relationships, your own personal strength and ability to overcome or cope. And in those moments, Jesus is enough. The key is to remain in him. This is one of those times in the scriptures where you can like interpret the Greek in different ways. We, we say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. It's certainly a proper uh, rendition of that Greek phrase. It's the, uh, the Greek prefix, prefix, preposition is what I meant, uh, ain, E-N. Uh, it can be translated by or through, but it's most often translated in. I like that one. Read it that way with me. I can do all things in him, in Christ who strengthens me. I don't know, I don't have time to preach this. But everybody understands that we are in Christ even as he is in us, right? Like, can you picture the Passover, the first one? Uh, Israel's in Egypt, they're, they're, they've been slaves. The message has come from God. Sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. And then they sat in their houses and ate the meat of that lamb as they sat in the protection that was the blood. 
of that sacrificial lamb. They ate of the food of that sacrificial lamb. Doesn't that describe the Christ life now in this age? That we're meant to live in the protection that comes from the blood that Jesus shed for us? That we're meant to live by the food that he grants us in his word, right? Nothing's changed. We are in Christ, and because of that, we'll have the strength to do whatever he calls us to do. One of my favorite psalms, I'll close with this, is Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler fowler and the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you in his wings, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is like a shield. It's like a small and huge shield. He uses both shields. He talks about the shield, which is the big one, and the buckler, which is the little one, hand-to-hand combat. He talks about, he refers to the, to the God of everything as a chicken whose wing protects its young. He's our shelter in the storm. Thank you, Bob Dylan. And in him, we have all the strength for whatever we face. You want to get A's as a Christian this year? You want to get A's as a church this year? I do. And we got to do these B's. What are they? Come on, be concerned. Yeah. And then I got this one. Be content. I got it this time. And then what's the last one? Be confident. Let's think about his goodness and be done. Stand with us as we sing.